With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, talking 53-man roster cuts. Alistair Corp joining the show. Alistair, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you doing? I am well. This is, but this is going to be difficult because I've been kind of going through my mind of who the Seahawks could potentially keep, who they could potentially cut. And there are some positions that I'm having a really hard time with. And I know you've been kind of doing your week by week, 53 man roster look up on fieldgoals.com. And, you know, it's, it's, I think it's easier in the first couple of weeks, but as it gets closer to the actual cut down time, I feel like there's some, it becomes more real in my mind. Yeah. All of a sudden it seems, you know, there's, there's more positions that get more convoluted and then a couple that get more clear, but the ones that are still confusing are only going to get more confusing. And then we're going to get a trade that just throws everything else into the mixer. And uh, yeah, it gives me a headache. Well, I, I do want to go position by position and talk about maybe some of those guys who are on the trade block. Some of the guys who have made it tough, maybe with that week three game against the Chargers and yeah, talk about who is maybe some of the surprising names that are going to go. But I think we can start off with quarterback and I, I feel pretty good about the two spots. I don't see the Seahawks keeping three guys again. They've historically just kept two guys at quarterback. And after the performance against the Chargers, I feel pretty good about saying Geno Smith is going to be the guy backing up Russell Wilson. Yeah, I mean, that was entering camp. I thought it wasn't even really a competition. And then you had actually a good performance from Paxton Lynch against the Broncos. But now it's just going to kind of be a, a moment in time. You know, he got his little revenge game. But I think, honestly, Geno probably gives them the best backup they've had since Tavares Jackson, which is pretty nice. The downside was Paxton Lynch uh, getting the concussion in that week two game and not really having that opportunity to play again against the Chargers. But I do feel like he was fighting an uphill battle against a veteran like Geno Smith. And like you said, against Tavares Jackson, that's that's probably the best backup they've had. So we can we can say JT Barrett, Paxton Lynch, most likely cut and move on to running backs where Chris Carson, Rashad Penny, probably the two locks on the team. But you got Travis Homer, the sixth round pick. CJ Proceis had a solid game against the Chargers and reminding everybody why we liked him so much, although it, it's tough to put all of that injury history behind us. And of course you got JD McKissick in that spot too. So I feel like there's three guys on the border there with your locks being Chris Carson, Rashad Penny. How many running backs do you think the Seahawks keep? Uh, running back is where it starts to get a little confusing because I think they'll keep four kind of immediately, but only because they have to carry or presumably have to carry David Moore into the regular season. Um, so they do put more on kind of the IR once the 53 is, is set, then I would imagine they probably bring Nick Bellor back if they do keep a fullback. So maybe five over the course of the season, but the initial 53, I think we'll have four on it um, just because, yeah, things are going to get a little confusing with, with David Moore's status. Okay, so who are the other two that you're keeping as a running back other than Chris Carson and Rashad Penny? 
Uh, I would keep Travis Homer for sure. Uh, I think long term he's he's super appealing. And then uh, I've been going back and forth. You know, I'm <laughs> the biggest CJ Prosize fan in the world. I, I love him. I would give him all of the chances. But entering this training camp, kind of one of my big questions was, is this year with the coaching staff kind of run out of patience with him? But then you heard Pete Carroll on the broadcast on Saturday night saying how, you know, he's not somebody who gives up on his guys easily. And he sounded so happy for Procise that Procise is back in there. I, I can't quit him. So uh, <laughs> right now the four is Carson Penny, Homer, Procise, and uh, people are going to hate it, but he is fantastic. Well, it is kind of a good thing that maybe we do have one more game against the Raiders, because if he can't make it out in time and actually see game action against the Raiders, then maybe that's the final nail in the coffin for CJ Procise. And and maybe they go J.D. McKissick here. I I've been so hopeful for CJ Procise over the years that on my 53 man right now, if you were to ask me today, I go four guys with the other two being Homer and J.D. McKissick, but it, it is tough seeing him have such a good game uh, against the against the Chargers. Yeah, I almost like I wouldn't fault anybody for having McKissick over Procise, but just like I think almost what McKissick's like floor or sorry, what McKissick's ceiling is, is what Procise's floor is if Procise is healthy. But yeah, that if is just like looming over his entire career. Yes. And we've been saying if for so many years now, which which makes it <laughs> tough. You brought up the idea of David Moore having to be on the 53-man roster, so then you can put him on IR to kind of give him that designation to be able to return later in the season, which uh, I think foreshadowed the fact that you cut Nick Ballore going into the season. I, I had that on mine, too. You know, they've, they've talked about him being a special teams player. They always seem to carry that fullback considering we're going to get into some of the other scenarios with the, on the defensive side, but I do think that it's just a little bit too crowded that you go, have to go ahead and, and cut Nick Ballore on the going into that final 53 man roster. Yeah. I think the thing that might help him um, kind of in the long term, you know, he may get cut, but since he's a veteran, he's not subject to waivers. So I do kind of wonder if it's going to be a scenario where, you know, he is part of that initial cut from 90 to 53, but kind of just told, you know, stick around on Wednesday, you're going to be re-signed and you're part of the group. Like last year, I think Trey Madden played maybe less than 8% of the offensive snaps, but they seem to have for some reason, a fascination with having that fullback who does contribute on special teams, I suppose. Let's go ahead and move on to wide receiver. And this is another spot where it gets pretty interesting. I think the locks for me, Tyler Lockett, obviously, Jerron Brown, DK Metcalf, uh, David Moore being that one that you would carry and uh, maybe have to put on IR to start the season. And then in terms of borderline guys, you have rookie seventh rounder John Ursua, who's had some nice catches in the preseason Gary Jennings who's the fourth round pick who you haven't seen a lot from him on preseason game day but you've heard some nice things out of practices from time to time and the Seahawks don't generally give up on a fourth round pick you have Malik Turner who is in there for some first team snaps against the Chargers as well as Jazz Ferguson who uh, you know he he didn't have any catches against the Chargers but you saw Russell Wilson go his way on that pass interference call in the end zone and, you know, he had that good game with with Paxton Lynch where they were linking up against the Broncos. So I feel like there's four guys that you have on the border there and you can really only pick two or maybe three yeah. because with the idea of, of David Moore being potentially on IR to start the season. Yeah, that's the, that's where it gets so complicated, because I think they might want to be able to keep seven just because of that move with more that's going to kind of come right away. Yeah but I just don't know that they'll be able to afford that roster spot right away. Um, so yeah, like you said, those four locks. And then I think Ursua, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable having him on the roster at this point. I'm just really 
you know, one of the things I really wanted was for one of the receivers who stepped up out of nowhere to be a slot guy, and Ursua is, and that's great because I don't want to have to see Lockett kind of be the slot receiver full time. You know, he had that perfect balance when Baldwin was there, where he was almost like 50 50 split between outside and inside last year. Mm-hmm. And if Ursua can kind of free them up to continue to split time inside outside for Lockett, I think that's awesome. I kept going back and forth between Jennings and Ferguson. I just can't wrap my head around them cutting ties with Jennings right now. You know, I, I think they. They don't want to have to risk Ferguson to waivers, and I kind of wonder whether or not he'll get through. But I just have such a hard time coming to grips with them getting rid of Jennings because you know he is like a very advanced stats friendly receiver um, coming out of West Virginia, and he's another guy who has inside outside potential. So I think they kind of hold on to Jennings and Ursua and then see what happens with Jazz Ferguson, which is a shame, but it's you know it's what makes this so tough. I think he does have that ability to pass through waivers, and if he doesn't then I think Malik Turner would be that guy who would pass through waivers and potentially be that sixth wide receiver spot uh, if if they do have to put more on IR. So it's it's coming down to those last two, but I'm in agreement with you that Ursua and Jennings it feel like the, the final two guys for those six spots. And it's kind of tough for the Seahawks going into the start of the season with really only two veteran guys who are healthy on the roster and then relying on Metcalf or Sua and Jennings as the three rookies. It's it's really startling. I mean, I looked at John Brown's game a lot last year because I thought that he could kind of do a lot of the things that Paul Richardson had done. And um, even speaking after the game against the Vikings, he had kind of said, like, pretty much outlined the things that Paul Richardson did best and things that he could do. You know, he can stretch the field, he can win underneath on, like, digs, and he can come back to the football. And those are things that Richardson did really well when he's healthy. So I think I do hold out a little bit of hope that Brown can be better in year two. But, um, yeah, it's it's really startling, the kind of lack of experience at receiver. It's a big worry for me. Well, and we knew it was going to be that way when we heard the Baldwin news in the offseason. But... There, there's also some questions here. I don't, you know, we we talk about how comfortable we are with Ursua being maybe that, you know, fourth, fifth spot on the roster after his preseason. But as Kenneth Arthur has pointed out on field goals, there's that one receiver that we always fall in love with during the preseason. And after week one, we kind of assumed that it was going to be Jazz Ferguson who would get that spot. But what if it is a guy like John Ursua, who's, you know, I... I, I'm not ready to say he's a lock because he was a seventh round pick, but he's flashed so well in the preseason. I just I worry that the the one receiver that I really, really like is going to get cut and it goes back to Case and Williams and his performance a couple years back. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that kind of I give Ursua almost a little bit of leeway with is just because of the way that they did acquire him. You know, they they were done with their draft picks and they moved back into the draft to get him because they didn't want to risk kind of going into UDFA mm-hmm. and losing him to another team. So maybe that makes me think, you know, they don't want to risk putting him on the practice squad and giving another team the chance to get him. They don't want to put him through waivers. Um you know, that's not necessarily exactly how they'll make the decision, but they clearly are a big fan of him. And there is kind of a lack of slot receivers behind Lockett. So I do wonder if that's reason enough to keep him around. Um, yeah, he is so refined, but the the comp- the comparisons to Doug Baldwin are are uh, are a reach right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, just his ability with his when I watch him run after the catch, I, I just see the, those flashes of Baldwin, especially, you know, early on in his career. Yeah, he and he does have kind of, you know, I think it was Danny Kelly used to always say like Baldwin is playing basketball on the football field and he does have those movements where every single step looks so deliberate. But um, maybe it's just my affinity for Baldwin where I kind of flinch when I see that because, you know, you're comparing like one of the three best receivers oh, in franchise history yeah. to a seven round pick. But uh, <laughs> hey, if he becomes Doug Baldwin, awesome. I'm all for it. 
Well, a couple guys that we're wondering who's going to fill out the the pass catchers on the team uh, looking to tight end. I got Will Disley, who is maybe my only lock because I'm I'm not quite sure about Jacob Hollister. I, I don't know if I'd consider Nick Vanette a lot going into his final year of his seat, uh, of his rookie contract. And then you got Ed Dixon, who we really haven't seen on the field. And so I feel like there's four guys there but really only three spots at tight end. And I'm not counting George Fant as a tight end. I'm, I'm putting him back on the offensive line. Totally. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, like you said, Disley without a doubt will be there. Um, I think he, uh, it's been pretty incredible how quickly he made his return from that injury. Um, I'm still pretty hesitant to even think that he can make um, kind of like the impact that he made early last year. Yeah. I'm really worried about that injury and how poorly people recover for it. You know, even like Jimmy Graham came back from the same injury and caught double digit touchdowns, but he always looked like he was pretty much like running in concrete blocks after that, which isn't great. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. kind of played into his skill set. So I am worried about that a little bit. Um, I would say Hollister is as good as a lock. Um if nothing else, just because Schottenheimer has talked him up like since the spring, since they acquired him, just seemingly in love with the guy. And he did look, you know, he brings a skill set to that position they don't have elsewhere. Um, you know, even Disley's kind of upside as a pass catcher. He showed in a little glimpse last year. He just, he doesn't move the way that Hollister moves. You know, I think yeah. out of the gate, I think they keep four. But again, I think that Dixon is another one who will have kind of a second move coming. Um, John P. Gilbert, who writes for field goals, wrote a thing about it. Dixon where at this point it seems like they'll have to carry him through 53 otherwise it's just going to cost too much money um, mm. and then there's probably corresponding move uh, so maybe they keep all four including Vanette and Dixon through the gate and then they make a subsequent move but uh, yeah it's another group that kind of makes me flinch a little bit until Disley kind of proves he's still the player that he was we saw before injury well moving on to the last position group on the offense Got the offensive line, and uh, this one, it seems like maybe the most clear-cut because you have your five starters with Dwayne Brown, Mike Upati, Justin Britt, DJ Fluker, and Jermaine Effetti. And then backups, Ethan Posick playing so much time in the regular season, George Fant, and you'd think they're going to want to keep him around, and Jermarco Jones, who I think would be the, the next one on that group to keep. And you wonder, are they going to go to Joey Hunt? Are they going to keep him around? Uh, being, you know, he has so much flexibility in the different positions that he can play. And then you have Jordan Simmons, who, you know, he could potentially be an IR candidate. You have Phil Haynes. Uh, I don't know if you can start him on the season at POP, but um, they, they really liked what they saw from Phil Haynes early on in the preseason. Yeah, no, I, uh, I actually entering training camp kind of anticipated Haynes was going to take uh, Upati's job as the starting left guard. Obviously he wasn't kind of able to come back from his hernia surgery immediately. Um, when I did my first 53 projection, which would have been right before training camp, I think that the kind of rough estimate was that he should have been back about mid-August, and he still doesn't even sound like he's close to being back. So, yeah, at this point, I kind of suspect he will start the year on PUP. And if that does prove to be the case, then maybe they keep Simmons, assuming he's healthy. He's another guy who just, like, I honestly don't think his body is cut out for football. Like, he's yeah. going back seven years into his time at USC. Like, he just can't stay healthy, but... uh yeah, I mean, I think Pochish has been like the big winner of preseason. He looks awesome. And, you know, he also gives them that flexibility between guard and center. So, yeah, I think you kind of nailed it with the tackles, Brown, Fetty, Fan, Jones. And then along the interior, Britt, Fluker, Iopati, 
Bocic. And then, you know, I currently have it as Haynes just because I still kind of think that he will be able to pass a physical soon. Um, but that's just kind of from what I've read about, you know, the surgery he had and, and the timeline. But if not, maybe they look to Simmons, maybe they look to Hunt, maybe they look to Roos even, or they kind of carry eight offensive linemen only. And then, you know, you have that spot freed up for some of the more difficult decisions elsewhere. So when you come out with your your 53 man this week, are you going eight offensive linemen or are you going nine? Because it, I wonder about if, if you put Jordan Simmons toward IR, that allows you to to carry him for another season. And, and if you put him on IR before the season starts, then he won't be able to come back, obviously. Um, but PUP with Phil Haynes, I think you are allowed to carry him in because he started preseason on PUP, correct? Correct. Yeah. And so the 53 I'll have going up probably tomorrow morning does have Haynes on it just because, yeah, I still kind of suspect that he'll make it. Mm. But with Simmons, um, just looking at it here over the past seven years, going back into his time at USC, he's been able to start five games uh, and that's it. Like he's his body just simply does not hold up for football. You know, obviously he wasn't like an immediate starter when he was with Oakland in, I think, 2017. But, you know, I just I can't really count on him for anything. So if Haynes does stay on the PUP, I think they probably carry eight or they look elsewhere. I would imagine if they do kind of make their annual August trade that it'll either be in the secondary or somewhere like along the interior, uh, be it a swing tackle because of fans role as like a, a jumbo tight end or somebody on the interior. But uh, I don't think that the uh, I don't think that group is clear at all right now. It's It's very confusing. Well, maybe the clearest group on the team in terms of position groups is special teams because you have three positions and you have three guys, Jason Myers, Michael Dixon, Tyler Ott. It's glorious. No worries <laughs> about kicker. No, nothing. It's it's going to be fantastic. As long as Jason Myers doesn't do like the thing every good kicker does and start to fall off a cliff, then that's awesome. We're not going to have to worry about it. It's going to be glorious. All right, Alistair. Well, that uh, that covers the offense. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll talk about how the Seahawks are going to shape up on the defensive side of the ball. Alistair Corp from Field Goals joining me to talk about the 53-man roster cuts. We've gone over the offense and special teams, and now we move over to the defense where there's going to be some challenging decisions for the Seahawks, because not because there's necessarily anybody who's so great that you're going to have to cut, but I feel like there's so many guys just kind of in the middle on those on the borders that you want to keep everybody, but there's just not enough spots. And let's start off with defensive tackle where uh, and I don't know if you want to cover the entire defensive line, Alistair, if you want to go inside, outside on the defensive line. But just starting with the interior D line, uh, you know, you got Puna Ford, you got Al Woods, Quentin Jefferson. You have Jaron Reed, who's going to be starting the year uh, on a six game suspension. And then you have Demarcus Christmas, who's been on that PUP list as uh, as the Seahawks uh, sixth round pick, I believe. And and then you have a lot of guys on that outside too, a defensive end and edge rusher. Yeah, I guess if, if we start kind of inside, I'm pretty comfortable in saying that like there's the three locks of Puna Ford, Al Woods, Earl Mitchell. For what it's worth, I, I kind of count Quinn Jefferson as an edge right now just because mm. of that's where he's lining up in base. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he definitely will see time inside if, uh, assuming he's on the roster. And then if we're saying that he's going to keep four defensive tackles, um, I've been a huge fan of Brian Monet, the UDFA, um, this preseason, but he only played nine snaps against the Chargers, and that uh, worried me quite a bit. 
but like he's i think they list him at 366 pounds and he's just like a force inside he he, he hasn't moved off the ball once um so i do think that he will stick i'm still pretty confident saying that he'll be the fourth defensive tackle um just because he can give them rotational stabs as as kind of the one tech um as you know you have ford and uh Ford and Reed once Reed is back, but for the time being, I think it's those four. Maybe Jamie Midair makes a push, but I haven't really seen anything from him that would make me think they're going to keep that veteran over kind of a young guy who seems pretty intriguing and pretty disciplined, which is important for Pete Carroll. And I'm not even sure you say Earl Mitchell's a lock. I don't know if he might fall into that same kind of status that Nick Ballor does. Yeah, it's actually a fair shout. I hadn't really thought of it that way, but you could be completely correct. I, I guess I kind of just put him as a lock for... Almost like they just don't have the other guys to keep. They need to make up the numbers somewhere. But yeah, no, that's a that's a totally fair show. Um, it's yeah. part of the reason why I put Quentin Jefferson inside because it's just so crowded on the outside. We, you have you know Ziggy Onza who's going to be a lock, LJ Collier who's got to be a lock, Cassius Marsh, uh, Jacob Martin, and then you know you have guys on the borders like Rasheem Green. You can put Quentin Jefferson in that group. Uh, you know, Nas Jones who was you know, what a fourth rounder or third rounder a couple years back who. I, I think you have to make a cut there potentially. And Barkevius Mingo is in that group too. And Brandon Jackson. So I, there's just a lot of, because of the reasons of having uh, Ziggy Anza, who's kind of injury prone, you have LJ Collier starting the, off the season with you know, dealing with injury. They're going to have some tough decisions when it comes to the edge and other people kind of considering, well, hey, do the, the Seahawks look outside of the team to bring in potential talent at the edge position too. Yeah, it's going to be really fascinating. It almost like you kind of suspect they might just make, you know, you, you always wait for their kind of sending a seventh round pick or a sixth round pick for like a bottom of the roster guy around this time. But you wonder, is there kind of that John Schneider splash coming where he adds somebody who's also going to be the best player up front for them on defense? You know, everybody wants to talk about Clowney and I just, I'd still be shocked if it happened, yeah. but you know, I, I think the skill set of the personnel on the defensive line might free them up to, like you said, get rid of Mitchell as a veteran and only carry three defensive tackles. Because like you said, you know, Jefferson can reduce inside. Rasheem Green can reduce inside. Yeah. Although I think there's pretty fair questions about his kind of functional strength inside right now. But, you know, Collier can reduce inside. Brandon Jackson, if he sticks, can reduce inside. Same with Nas Jones. So, you know, they, they do have the bodies to fill fill the inside, especially on kind of passing downs. But yeah, that up front for them right now is kind of question marks across the board, which is kind of a far cry from the identity of what the defense formerly was. Well, and looking back to your 53-man roster projection from last week, you have Nas Jones as being cut, Barkevius Mingo, and Brandon Jackson. You know, Jackson's a veteran. He's produced for the team in the past. And Barkevius Mingo, he's been such a, a solid special teams player. This is who are you going to be cutting out of this group of edge defenders? Yeah. So uh, in my next kind of 53, that group remains unchanged um, with okay. Jackson Mingo and Nas Jones being the ones cut. The the interesting development there from week three would have been the fact that Jackson played, I think, almost half the defensive snaps, um, which was quite a bit more than Quentin Jefferson, who in theory would be who he's kind of competing with for that sixth and final spot. Um, you know, they're both big ends who can reduce inside. They're kind of the same skill set, but I just think that they really are comfortable with Jefferson's um, play against the run, honestly, as like a base defensive end. A lot of people seemed to take umbrage with the fact that Mingo was cut because Pete Carroll actually like was <laughs> weirdly positive about Mingo saying, you know, him and Martin are going to have roles as pass rushers. 
but I mean, now this is three consecutive preseason games where M- Mingo has played into the fourth quarter. Um, you know, yeah. the, his cap, it would be $5 million. They could get off the hook of pretty much all of that if they cut him. Um, I think he would have been cut in the spring had they needed that money. They just didn't really need to free it up for a big free agent move. I just have a really hard time seeing Mingo sticking. Uh, I don't, you know, obviously they do value special teams, but do they value special teams to pay a guy $5 million to be like the worst pass rusher on the roster and play special teams? I, I, I don't know. Maybe, but I don't think so. Well, moving on to linebacker and a, a spot that Barkevius Mingo played last year, but one that they have a, a really nice, uh, solid amount of depth that with Bobby Wagner, KJ Wright coming into the season healthy, Michael Kendricks. I'd put Cody Barton, the third round pick in as a lock here as well. But then you get on the border of guys like Shaquem Griffin Ben Burkirvan and Austin Calitro, and they may be able to keep two of those guys, but I don't think they'll be able to keep all three. It's going to get really complicated. I, I, uh, I've gone back and forth so many times on what they're going to do here. I think a lot of people got sold on Shaquem Griffin's story last year and started to believe that he was kind of going to be all of a sudden the star on defense. And frankly, that was just never, ever going to be the case. You know, his ceiling was always a core special teamer. And I think he still does have that role. Um, You know, they moved him over to the strong side to get him more comfortable. And if they can get him playing kind of, I don't know if you want to say more freely, but just like play into his athleticism, let him flow to the football. He could still have a role on defense, but he's kind of their backup, Sam. So I do think that he sticks. And, you know, like you said, Cody Barton, definitely a lock. And then I kept giving Ben Burkirvan just because like Barton, you know, they needed like to inject some young talent and some mo- more modern linebackers. You know, Wagner and Wright are both just like perfectly suited for the modern game. And so are Barton and Burkirvan. But, you know, I was so I was just kind of writing the linebacker group early this morning. And I was reminded of something that uh, Kevin Clark was talking about on the Ringer NFL show on Friday, where essentially Pete Carroll's hand was kind of forced in 2012 to start Russell Wilson because you couldn't be. Mr. Compete and then, you know, start Matt Flynn over Wilson just because of his price tag. And now I'm thinking that's the same thing with Austin Kelly, Tro and Burke Irvin. Like you almost can't roster Burke Irvin over Kelly, Tro, you know, despite Burke Irvin's draft status because Kelly has been the best defensive player in preseason. He's been right. awesome. So I think they almost just have to keep Kelly, Tro as like, you know, he, he <laughs> truly just went out and won the job. Um, and I think you could probably comfortably get Burke Irvin onto the, uh, onto the practice squad out of the gate. Um, so yeah, right now I think the six would be Wagner, Wright, Kendricks, Griffin, Barton, and Kelly Tro with, with Burke Irvin going on the practice squad for okay. sure. Yeah. I, you know, I was thinking of it in a similar way and I know there's going to be a lot of Huskies fans out there who are going to be disappointed when Ben Burke Irvin doesn't make the 53, but I agree with you that I do think Burke Irvin, uh, is going to make the the practice squad. So, uh, we, we have that for the Huskies fans to hold on to. Yeah. And I mean, just like real quick on Burke Irvin, I don't think even, you know, if he does get cut out of the gate, I think that like Huskies fans, Seahawks fans should still feel pretty confident that like he could start for the defense at one point, you know, yeah. he is athletic. He's built for the modern game. He just kind of needs like a little bit better awareness in space and in coverage. And that'll come with time. You know, if he's, if he's learning from KJ and Bobby Wagner every day in practice on the practice squad, like that's going to be fantastic for his development. It's by no means kind of like the end of the road for him at all. I, I do have high hopes for him. It's just, you know, maybe it doesn't fit this year. Well, and you don't know either what's going to happen with Michael Kendricks, you know, with his sentencing coming up in September either. So they they may want to keep around extra linebackers. And and I'm not totally sold on Shaquem Griffin being a lock either, but 
I do think that, you know, with the dynamic of Shaquille being on the team and him being an outstanding special teams player, I do think that they'll want to keep him around, particularly for special teams. And like you said, he's he's kind of serving in that backup role. And and Cody Barton, too, I feel like. If they do either trade Austin Calitro, because I think that, that that potential may be there, another team looking for a linebacker, sending you know a sixth, seventh round pick the Seahawks way, and uh, that would allow Burke Irvin to to potentially stay on the fifty three man roster. I just th- there are a lot of things that I think that they could do with this linebacker spot. Yeah, I I do think uh, kind of what you said about Calitro getting getting a deal elsewhere, it would almost be like a blessing to size for Seattle if a team could come in and almost help them make the decision. You know, if there's a team that plays like a three four and has a has like a linebacker in place who's exceptional in coverage and who can kind of cover up for Calitro's faults, which is kind of playing in space, which we saw a little bit last year, he got exposed. You know, mm-hmm. I could see a team talking themselves into Calitro as a starter because you know he has looked really really good and he is solid against the run. He's just kind of maybe a bit of a um, you know, a linebacker from a previous era, which is not a great fit in this defense. And then I guess we should mention the other linebackers on the team, Justin Curry, Juwan Johnson, Juwan Young. And uh, that may be the last time we mention them, but they just have so <laughs> many other guys uh, ahead of them on the roster, making it tough for them. So let's move on to corner. And looking at your last 53-man roster, you had them keeping Shaquille Griffin, Trey Flowers, Nico Thorpe, and Akeem King and with Jamar Taylor kind of being that nickel corner guy, he didn't have the greatest game against the Chargers, but it does feel like Jamar Taylor has been getting most of the play when it comes to nickel corner. The only locks I feel at this spot are Shaquille Griffin and Trey Flowers and maybe Nico Thorpe just based on his special teams ability. Yeah, I would agree with you. Um I hope, I really do hope that Thorpe sticks around another year for a special teams play. He's just such a badass. He brings so much energy. Um, And they do still seem kind of like oddly comfortable putting him out as a, as a backup outside corner, Mm -hmm. uh, which is kind of bizarre, but you know, they'll, they'll like, I think against Dallas, maybe Shaquille Griffin, when he went out for a couple of plays, Thorpe stepped in, you know, they seem oddly comfortable. Yeah. Like you said, Taylor didn't play great against the chargers and he had kind of a hideous sequence against Minnesota the week prior, but I've kind of shifted it now to think that that Taylor and King will land. You know, I mm. saw, you know, King played quite a bit on the outside last week or against the Chargers, sorry. And, you know, he does give them kind of the big nickel option. Jamar Taylor is just so much smaller than like almost any corner they've ever had in the slot. Um, you know, looking back, he, like I think he's about the same weight as Justin Coleman, but Coleman was a little bit longer. Um, but if you have Taylor and King, you kind of have two matchup based um, slot slot corners, you know? Yeah. So I think if they could, those five, it would come at the cost of Deshaun shed. Um, yeah. But yeah, Taylor and King both give them kind of flexibility to be more matchup based, which is what we saw them kind of move a little bit to towards the end of last year, which was super refreshing and super interesting, actually. Wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me going into the safety group now that you're cutting Deshaun shed? He's, I, I feel like he's a fan favorite and this, this could potentially be the biggest cut that you're making here. He, you know, I just like, it's going to come down to Akeem King or Deshaun Shedd. I think that is a pretty safe bet. Mm. Um, I'll, you know, cut, I'll both... cut Jamar Taylor before I cut <laughs> Deshaun Shedd. I don't know if the Seahawks will, though. Yeah, that's the thing is, I, I think I would too. But uh, <laughs> I just think, you know, you have you have King who's just, he's younger and I think he's cheaper than Shedd. Uh, I think he probably would be. Um, they can both kind of be the big nickel. Uh, and then, you know, safety, it just kind of shakes out logically for me for the first time where you have McDougald and Thompson, and then you have Blair as the backup strong and you have Amade as the backup free. And you just kind of wonder like, where does shed fit into the team? You know, I just, 
and it's it's dumb because last week I think I wrote that I would be shocked if he didn't make the roster. But I'm just like trying to follow the kind of like what the snap cans are telling us, what Pete is telling us, and I'm just I'm having a hard time finding a role for Deshaun Shed on the roster. And you know, King played more special team snaps than Shed. It's going to come down to those two, but they just seem to really be wanting to find a role for King on the roster if if Taylor is the slot corner moving forward. Not having that nickel corner that you can put on just anybody. I feel that Deshaun Shedd has that versatility to play outside corner too, whereas, and maybe even be better at it than Nico Thorpe, but they have been playing him primarily at safety now that he's back. And maybe he doesn't have that versatility. Maybe I'm just thinking back to when he was on the roster and and his game now, but I have a hard time getting rid of a a player like Shedd who has so much versatility. And then not to mention Lano Hill uh, being on the cut list as well. Yeah, you know, I, I was kind of curious about uh, Hill, especially going into this week, because I thought, you know, he's a guy that they cut previously. I think they cut him um, after his rookie season. You know, he found his way back, I think, on the practice squad initially. But, you know, they have shown that they're willing to cut ties with him. And I was just kind of thinking, you know, if you're only able to keep one of King, Shed, and Hill, Hill just got healthy. So I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe it would be too little too late for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, he only played 11 snaps against the Chargers. And I think that kind of, you know, I think he's just going to help the round out the numbers through the rest of the preseason. But I, I do just think it kind of, it was too late for him to make a push for the roster, which is a bummer because he he played pretty well in December as, again, like that big nickel who was kind of a matchup-based, matchup-dependent defender. Um, it just kind of, yeah, I think it was just too late for him to make a real push. But Ugo Amadi obviously making the roster and helping him out is the fact that, yeah, maybe he can challenge uh, Jamar Taylor for that nickel position. But he also has that special teams ability that we saw against Minnesota. And then he was taking the the first team snaps uh, on punt returns. And I think he was even in on kickoff returns, wasn't he? I do think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like you said about kind of it sucks not having that slot corner who can kind of defend everybody. And I think Amadi could still be that guy. I'm not sure if that's where they project him, but he has the size to hang with bigger slots. He has like the quickness and the short area burst to kind of stick with the shiftier guys. Um, so maybe that is where kind of the numbers change and shed does stick at safety. If Amade will get more looks at nickel, it's it's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see what they do once the regular season begins kind of outside of the numbers they keep. It'll just be awesome to see how they deploy the guys they have. So when you take a look at the roster as a whole, who do you think is the guy that we're talking about that, you know, we can't believe that the Seahawks cut uh, when it comes down to the actual 53 man roster cuts next week? I would say it's going to come down to Shed or Kelly Tro that people are kind of most shocked about or or whoever receiver is the odd man out. There's tough calls every single year. And and I wonder if there's maybe some potential trades that can make us feel a, a little bit better about it. I brought up Austin Calitro, uh, CJ Procise. You know, maybe he showed enough in that game against the Chargers. And that's, you know, with the injury in Houston, you know, or maybe some other potential injuries out there for other teams. You know, if they look at CJ Procise and the and Seattle willing to let him go and and maybe get something for him at this point. Yeah, I mean, especially you think even if Procise were to play 16 games like on a consistent basis, he'll just forever be like underutilized in Seattle. The way that their offense runs, they're just not going to maximize his skill set if health wasn't a question with him. So you got to think if there was a team that was kind of high on him coming out, high on his versatility, they might circle back and see, you know, we could throw a conditional sixth, seventh round pick at the Seahawks and get this guy who 
you know, we had a round two, round three grade on who fits perfectly into our offense, who can catch passes out of the backfield, split out wide. He can run between the tackles, you know, in theory, he can do it all. But, you know, with ProSize, it is kind of completely theoretical. So, yeah, like maybe a team comes in for him, um, in which case I think they would be comfortable moving forward with McKissick there. Are there any spots when it comes to the 53-man roster? You said you didn't think there was going to be that movement, but are there one or two spots where you're really looking to to nail it down one position or another in this game coming up against the Raiders? Yeah, I think the fourth and maybe fifth running back spot, the sixth wide receiver spot, the very last edge rusher spot, the last defensive tackle spot, and maybe the final linebacker spot are all, all hypothetically up for grabs or the t- decisions already made. But from an outsider's view, that's where the movement could still come if any movement comes. Well, Alistair, thanks again for coming on the show. People need to go and check that out. Fieldgoals.com coming up. And if they want to follow more of your work, Alistair, where's the best place to find you on Twitter? And uh, of course, we know we, we can find you on Field Goals anytime. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, follow me on Twitter at by Alistair Corp. And yeah, read everybody's stuff at Field Goals. We're just pumping out great content and uh, it's only going to pick up as the season comes. But uh, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. So big thanks to Alistair for coming on the show. And as we're chatting, looking at fieldgoals.com, John Gilbert has an injury update on David Moore about his broken arm. Doesn't sound like he will be on injured reserve to start the season and he will be back sooner than later. That report coming from at Rapsheet Ian Rappaport on Twitter. So good news for David Moore. John also has an article up looking at John Ursua versus Jazz Ferguson and the player who is more likely to clear waivers between those two. And Kenneth Arthur has an article comparing Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck through their first seven seasons against each other. As Kenneth points out, the one time we got to see these two in the regular season was when the Seahawks went to Indianapolis, lost the game. Uh, although the Seahawks should have won that game, recovering a fumble in the back of the end zone that was called having carried it out of the back of the end zone. Seahawks take that loss, go 13 and three that season on their way to the Super Bowl victory. Last time Andrew Luck and Russell Wilson faced each other. Check that out. Kenneth Arthur's article at fieldgoals.com. And if you want to support this show as well as the Seahawkers podcast, we'll have a show coming up later this week. Adam and I will be talking about the Chargers game and previewing the game against the Raiders. Check that out, seahawkerspodcast.com. You can support the show by going to getintheflock.com, and we will give you a mention on an upcoming show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you listen to it, and we'll be back right here soon. Fieldgoals.com. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.